0: Welcome to Teaching Brood. Today's conversation is more about differentiation. It'll be a little bit different though. This is the kind of free flow conversation that Andrew and I are known for having. It's actually,
1: it's actually short. So
0: if you've got, if you're doing a novel study, yeah. everybody has to read the same novel.
1: Yeah, which is rare.
0: In my line of work, it's actually very common because okay. everybody's playing the same piece. Okay, yeah, yeah. right how are you going about and differentiating that?
1: Okay, uh, I'll give you an example of that. Um, It has to do with your outcomes, backwards by design. You look at the outcomes, kids who are struggling, you give them the bare minimum they would need to show you they can produce. Middle ground kids produce the standard. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Accelerated kids produce the standard and then more. In your case, off the top of my head, not only would they learn the piece... They would figure out how to extend the piece. They would, add, they would figure out a section where they could add. Like, I'm not saying they would actually do it in, like in the form. compose
0: extra, c- you're saying? Hmm? You, when you're saying add, you're saying compose extra?
1: Yep. Compose a section that you feel is missing. Compose a section, compose a piece that is similar to. Kids who are lower get them to analyze two bars and play those two bars well. Exact same thing that I do with my, some of my low learners in literacy. Um, one of my boys in my class, he doesn't produce a full poem for me. He produces a line or two per day. He gets five-minute goals. If you're writing a story, he writes one or two lines of that story in five minutes. And that's his expectation. And then he moves on.
0: How is that different from having an IEP and having modified standards?
1: That's not modified standards. He's still meeting the standards, but to the bare basic minimum. As well, yes, sometimes he does have modified standards. There are kids. I don't have any this year. He doesn't have modified standards, but he meets the standards where I expect multiple Evidences of yep. hitting the standard with with the with an average middle grade with an average kid mm-hmm. with him if I can see it once or twice, that's the expectation because he because he works slowly, and I have to build him up to a point of him being able to show it to me once or twice. The extension kids, on the other hand, no, I want them to do. They can show, I, I typically know they can show me the standard. I'm sure you have kids in your band that you know if you give them oh, yeah. the piece they're going to learn it in a day. So what you do with them, they compose something. While well, everyone else is practicing the piece, you know they can you can insert them whenever you want. You would. Okay, guys, go compose a piece that's similar to this that you think we could play. Or if you think this piece is missing a section, when you listen to it and you play it, mm-hmm. if there's a piece that, if, if there's a part that you think could be reworked or could be missing a section, do it. And only that, and if, if you do that and they do it well, you get to actually perform that part. And they get, they, they get to show authentic learning. Immediately off the top of my head, that's where I'm going with differentiation. And that is pretty real world. And you end up getting, just like a classroom, groupings. You end in terms up getting your small, high,
0: medium, and lows.
1: You end up getting three big, three, a minimum of three groups, mm-hmm. where you would spend a fair bit of time on the small group, fair bit of time, most, a lot of time in the middle, because everyone has to learn the pace, obviously. Your high group would join whenever need be, because you know they're going to know. Now, your high group is often very, very small, two, three, four kids, maybe at most. Um, typically, they're at a point where they can function independently and on their own. And um, by doing so, you can do check-ins with them. Now, I'm not saying you leave them alone. You do have small groups with them, and you do bring them in on an ensemble way. But I think potentially, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this knowing that I'm not a music teacher, by the way, so bear this in mind, everything I'm saying. I'm saying this based on what, how I would twist what a classroom does into that. My initial thoughts would be you break the norm. You would have to in that situation. Um, if you really want to push your high kids to get there and not be frustrated, as frustrated with my with your kids who are struggling learners and, and challenging learners, I got a few in my room, and I have every year, that struggled to hit the standard for various reasons. For, for some of them, it's anxiety. I got one or two kids this year. I had a couple kids last year who their perfectionism prevented them from doing the work. They would, they would work one-tenth speed. And you had to really work with them to get through that. Um, And for those kids, you knew they could hit the standard. You just had to work for their anxiety. Mm -hmm. Got a couple other kids who, yeah, it's it's anxiety coupled with some learning challenges. And in those kids, you've got to work with them one-on-one. And you've not only got to work with them on a social-emotional point of view, but you've got to work with them on um, an academic point of view. And you've got to work both at the same time. And it often involves pats on the back, smiles, high fives, cheerleading. And Mm -hmm. with the perfectionism ones especially, really driving the growth mindset with them. Because if they don't, that's where they, that that that's where they don't feel they can succeed when they could have succeeded the whole time. A specialist classroom. And I don't see, I know you see the kids less than we do. I know we get them four or five hours a day. But I don't see why the differentiation is any different. And I think there's a huge fixed mindset thing going on there that can easily change.
0: I'd say... You're partially right.
1: Yeah. Oh I'm not, uh, yeah, by the and, way, everything I'm saying right now is obviously not a so I have done
0: mixed I have done separate groupings differentiation within the class in previous schools where I've had space. Yeah. So if you think about your average band class, all those instruments. Yeah. Asking a kid to compose something yeah. with all of that noise going on, it's too hard to hear. Headphones. Not
1: it, it, it's it's not too dissimilar to a noisy classroom.
0: I've heard that I'd say it's I'd say that the noise level is more. If you've got forty two instruments going on, which is what I have in one of my classes, right yeah, now, it's really loud. True. It's more so than a pair of headphones will be able to cancel up. However, what with those kids within the lesson, I'm using them as models. So they're not sitting there tolling their thumbs. I'm using them as models. And most of the time, there's stuff that they can be improving on themselves.
1: But, okay, so mind if I play devil's advocate? Go for it. Um, the model situation is, is a double-edged sword. Mm. Because the low kids will perform often worse because you've got the high kids who are being noticed too much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I run, and every classroom teacher runs into that too. It's an identical thing. You always have high flyers in math in particular, in actually most schools you run into a bunch of kids who are really high flyers in math, and you get some high flyers in literacy, but I guess in math it's where you're showing models and strategies, it tends to be just right there. So when you do that, it really complements them. But then the kids who are struggling, who are challenged, feel worse, a lot. And the way around that, that I found is you celebrate their successes as equally as the high kids, which I do. Good, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's good. But I think the space thing, space is space. You just need to chunk it off. I get the noise, but if the kids are composing a piece, send them outside the room. That's what
0: I do all the time. Ah, see, and that's what I can't do with this particular class. Why is that? Behavior. It's, the, the work wouldn't get done unless, at this point, with this particular class, and it's not just me, it's But that's one class out of how many? Uh, well, in this particular case, this is one class out of nine.
1: So the other eight, could you?
0: The other eight, well, some of them are kindergartners, so no.
1: Oh, yeah, well, that's a fact, that's a fact. <laughs> and, I, and I'll be the first to admit my experience is, three, my, my experience is middle elementary, right? Yeah. And I think most of the stuff that I'm saying now could probably be applied to middle school as well.
0: Yeah, yeah like, I would, I would definitely do it.
1: And I might not. I might. I might grade, even.
0: grade four upwards. I have no issue sending kids into the hall to work. Yeah. With the exception of that one class, my grade threes. It's going to depend on their maturity level with that particular class, where we are in the year. Because As someone
1: who's taught grade three for seven years, they're they're capable.
0: I know they're capable, but I they i would be a little bit more cautious in terms of not just extending the trust from day 1.
1: No. Um, so the so the way i the way i make sure that all, all all that happens in my room is procedural. Yes. And i know you only get them once a site recy- once a recycle i'm assuming?
0: I get them twice a week. Twice a week at this particular school.
1: Okay. So you get them twice a week.
0: So yes, i do a whole lot on procedures. And then, and you then, know, I gradually let go and, and let them. And so, yes, by early November, I do have groups working in the hall.
1: And the gradual let go is something I love and hate because I think I kind of don't con- can think of it like a consistent curve of letting go. I th- kind of think of it like, OK, in evolution, there's something called punct- There's two different philosophies behind evolution. One of them is called punctuated equilibrium. And it's a bit of a weird one, but it basically looks like a series of plateaus. They say mm-hmm. that that species evolved by, it's no change, massive change. No change, massive change. That's one of the philosophies of, and bear in mind, I did that 20 years ago, so that could have changed since then. Punctuated equilibrium might not exist anymore. And I think I'm calling it the right thing. Anyways.
0: There was a feathered dinosaur that didn't fly.
1: Because the yeah, feathers uh, weren't
0: originally made for flying.
1: No, they were actually meant for heat and endothermic, exothermic yes that's what it is punctuated uh yeah that's what it is um it's that idea some and I, I don't think it's as drastic as punctuated equilibrium in terms of the release but i think sometimes you gradually let go for a little bit and then you just got to go boom let's make a big leap and you got to see if they can handle it i will chal- i i will do that with my kids where i'll do a gradual release especially of my of my kids who are meeting expectations or higher i'll do a gradual 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 then i'll just say you know what guys go And sometimes, yeah, don't get me wrong, sometimes that doesn't work. And you learn from that as a teacher, and they learn from that, too. Um,
0: I think it probably also comes down to, from a specialist perspective, how the classroom teacher does things. So right now, I've got three different grade one classes. Yeah. And And all three classes have very different personalities. Yeah. So do their teachers. So I've got one teacher who is very much a you take responsibility for your learning yeah and her kids are very independent in terms of working you know i can say okay guys i want you to go in the hallway and record this and come straight back and they'll do it and then i've got another class which um they basically it's not just that they need to be have me in the room with them but they need me standing over them in order for anything to happen and apparently it's like that in their own classroom as well. Mm. Is that that the case or is
1: that a perception?
0: um, Well, it's definitely something that I've talked to their teacher about on numerous occasions. Okay. So it's something where I feel like if you've got, like for me as a specialist, Yeah. only seeing them an hour a week. There's at the younger levels. Yeah. Because of the amount of time in between lessons. Yeah it takes them longer to gain that independence if I'm the only one doing it. That's fair. If all of their teachers are doing it... Yes. ...or they're getting the majority of it from their classroom teacher, whom they are seeing four or five hours a day, then I can do that much faster.
1: Yes. Now, this this conversation could rabbit hole way off differentiation and more into consistencies across schools, which is a whole different thing. I will say that one of the reasons why my school does well with this is because we though unofficially not sent from admin but but talked a lot about by a lot by admin and talked a lot of, talked a lot about by teachers there is a set of clear expectations. Some of those expectations are definitely set by are definitely mm-hmm. agreed upon by us, set by admin and that's what we do. But a lot of them are more informal and such as the way we move through the hall. Um, expectations of I think classroom behavior is just a school-wide thing and I think if there's consistency and if the kids have crystal clear procedures in the room and I know there are some people who fight against that idea Mm -hmm. but I think I've 11 years of teaching and I've progressed in that and got better and better in the past four or five of those I rarely have a behavior problem in my class because my kids have crystal clear procedures in my room about what they do and my, yep. what the expectations are of what they should and shouldn't do. And that does help with differentiation because effectively, when I do a little mini lesson on the carpet, whether it be math, literacy, or talking about yeah. the days of the year, for goodness sakes, they know that I'm going to give them three instructions about what to do next. Yeah. Sometimes five if I want to stretch it, but I rarely do five because I find it's overwhelming for third graders and they know what to do and how to transition because we've gone over it so many times yes. and they've tried it so many times and I've shown them the good way of doing it not the, I think we talked about this when we did Responsive Classroom we did um, but what that allows me to do is differentiate the room quick and easy yes so I can go okay which so, is key so I'll, I'll and I'll differentiate in two ways Like I'll start the lesson with differentiating two ways I'll have a list of kids who I know I need to see for who I know I need to see but I also have a little corner of my board. I actually grabbed this one of my colleagues, and I loved it. I'll have a corner of the board. I have a set of whiteboards in the front, and one set of whiteboards in the back. There is no official front of my room. There's actually kind of two fronts.
0: I have exactly the same. And at first, when I walked in there, I was like, overkill. And now I'm like, this is awesome.
1: Right. So for me, it ends up, because I'm multi-subject, math on one side, literacy on the other. Social studies and science, it varies. Depends if I'm using a video or whatever mm-hmm. I'm doing. Uh, but that's the consistency. They know that if it's can carpet... You,
0: can you project both ways?
1: No. Okay. So if I do need to project for literacy, I will tell them, okay, guys, we're moving up to this carpet for literacy for this time. But most often than not, I often don't need to project or I'll use my iPad and show it to them. Um,
0: yeah, I'm the same. It's I would love to have that dual projector to go with my dual boards so that I could...
1: Yeah, that would actually be real help. Actually, that would help the differentiation too because you could get the upper kids on the other projector doing stuff. Yes. Um... But actually, we have iPads, so it's actually a bit of a moot point because I can see them in any given moment. I can see what they're up to, just through the Apple Classroom, which is phenomenal, uh, which also does help me with differentiation because then I can – can, I know what the kids are up to and go, oh, he needs help with that. I need to go over there and check on him. Anyways, what I was getting to was there's a corner of a, of my boards that always say, Mr. Harnett, I need to see you. Cool. And when I split them off and say, Here, here's your task, go for it, the kids who really need to see me will write their names on the boards. And I'll try to get to those as many as I can. And if there's a few who I know have the, have a similar issue they want to work through, mm-hmm. small group time.
0: So will they also put down what they need to see you about when they no, do No,
1: it's just what it is. I mean, okay. I, I'm pretty close at monitoring the literacy. Uh, I'll check their notebooks fairly frequently. And if they're t- typing, is even easier because I've got their docs in front of me. Um, and I try to, like, have... I'll, I'll do a walk around after I'm done conferencing with kids and just kind of see where people are at. Um, and that really helps me out. Of course, it's never perfect. You, I'll, I'll, you, know, you will miss it every now and again. But for the most part, if you get a relatively consistent check on their writer's notebooks and the reader's notebooks and when they're annotating texts, you can kind of get a monitor and kind of look around. Mm-hmm. You can get a pretty good idea of what they need to work on. And sometimes they don't know what they need to work on. Sometimes well, they're just stuck.
0: That. Yeah. Because I know there's been, from my own school career, how many days did I sit there with a blank piece of paper in front of me and the pencil sitting beside it going, uh... And to tell you the
1: truth, especially if we're at the beginning of an issue, of a topic, especially when it comes to literacy, um, I'll often say right off the bat, who here is stuck? And, I've, and we, we've created the environment in the class where almost all of the kids are comfortable with that idea of being stuck and it's not an embarrassing thing. Mm-hmm. And typically when I say who's stuck, and if you're stuck, stick around. And so when I dismiss them to start working,
0: yeah, I know I need like, to hit a
1: certain number of groups, but I know that I'll get to those groups in a minute because I want to get these guys going. Because yes. if they're gone, not going, they're, A, will be a nuisance to the people around them, possibly, or B, just sit there doing nothing. And that's the last thing I want.
0: Yes. And I do a very similar thing. when I, I'll give an instruction with my younger ones, give an instruction, and then say, okay... Give me your four, three, two, one. What are you understanding? And the fours and the threes, off you go. The twos, what kind of questions do you have? And the ones, it's like, let's go back through this again.
1: Yeah. And I think that really helps. And I think, and when they're in that stuck small group, when they get unstuck, I'll say, cool. Yeah. Back, give, 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 and uh, I do the same. And the group changes. Yeah. And if like, someone gets stuck while I'm working with that stuck group, they can come join. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, admittedly, that stuck group will last a tr- fair chunk of the time. But they get to a point where they know what they're doing. And often when they get to that point, it's easier for them to get going in future lessons, which is which is why that time is worth it. Yeah. Um,
0: and and some, it's Sometimes it's just they just need the one little thing clarified and you do one small thing on the board and they're, they've they got their light bulb moment.
1: Yeah. And with that stuck group, I'll often be intentional and say, I know you might not be stuck, but stick around anyway. Because I saw them the day before and they start to look like they were getting stuck or I knew there was a lesson that I was going to be going over with the stuck group that I know that student needed to hear. And so what you end up getting actually is your kids who are working through problems and are on a more challenging level and you're really looking to grow them to hit the expectations and they're really learning to hit the expectations, I'll pull them in with that group. Because they're going to get stuff from the kids who are stuck yeah. as to how they can get ideas. Not only that, but they can also work while they're right in front of you and they can get some ideas. So it ends up being kind of two birds of one stone situation. Because I get to work with the kids who have more challenging needs. But then I also get to work with the kids who are stuck, which are often the middle or even the enriched kids. Um, so it's a it's... You end up getting a mixed ability group there. And that really works. And I do mixed ability groups sometimes. And sometimes differentiation just can be as easy as, guys, choose your own partners. So, I don't know. Without getting too heavily into the tech side of things, that's kind of just how we do it.
0: Yeah. So, awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. If you found something in this podcast useful, please, please, please make sure you leave us a review. Yep. Yep. And tweet at us, email us, find us online. Yep. We're there. Cool.
1: Have a great night, everyone.
0: Bye. Bye.